Hi, I'm Glenn Harper, CPA and owner of Harper & Company, CPAs Plus, and partner in Sula Consulting. In each episode, my co-host, Julie Smith, Harper & Company's practice manager and partner in Sula Consulting, and I will interview a different guest about their entrepreneurial journey. The podcast features interviews with business owners, aka entrepreneurs, who bring intriguing and entertaining clarity to the entire entrepreneurial journey, giving others confidence to build their business. Our goal is to provide actionable value to you, the entrepreneur, to help you do business or build a business. Every entrepreneur deserves to enjoy the journey. Learning from others offers valuable insight and inspiration. We want to provide insight on the why, the how, the shortcuts, and the value add that many entrepreneurs wish they would have had identified at the onset of their journey. Sit back and enjoy the journey. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Empowering Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm Glenn Harper. Julie Smith. How's it going today? I bet you feel a lot better after that tax deadline yesterday. Whew, that was a doozy. Uh, every time you swear you're going to get them done quicker and uh, everybody drops it off the last minute. I feel like it's always that daylight savings time. I mean, why do they take the one hour away from the CPA world? It's like, can they just not do it after April 15th? That'd be great. But right. we don't work in that world, but that's okay. <laughs> We've got a, a great show lined up today. We've got our guest today, Genevieve Paturo, a fellow entrepreneur who's the driving force behind It's All About Purpose for the Human Connection. She has helped many a team and individuals find their purpose. Thanks, Genevieve, for being on our show. How are you? I'm fine. Nice to see you both. You're great. I, I detect a slight, slight New York accent. Are you uh, from the city or the burbs somewhere near there? Yes, I'm half an hour away. I'm looking out at the Hudson River. Well, that's what I was checking. Can you see the Talman Mountain State Park from where you're at? No, no, can't I can't quite do see that. that. Oh, that's a bummer. <laughs> and what we, we've uh, already declared that she's got a little Italian in her before we started recording. So, of course, now I'm asking Glenn if he can make me Italian because he could say her name almost perfectly. So I'm going to start using well, my hands to talk. You should be having espresso there. Yeah. <laughs> We're all going to be using our hands to talk. It's going to be great. That's we're going to really get get emphatically here. All right. So, uh, you know, you're you're born and raised in New York. I take it. Yes. All right. An Italian father from Italy off the boat. Real no Italian. Kid. That is awesome. Yeah. That so you feel like you've got. Uh, he probably instilled on you some sort of uh, uh, belief that uh, America is awesome and you should make the best of it. Right. I'm guessing. Oh, he he died telling us this is the best country in the world. Absolutely. He was. He was so patriotic and he came here at 15. He made his oh. way. You know, he, he he didn't have anything when he came here and his father brought him here. And um, he believed that every second with every breath. Did he find a local gal? Is that when he got married and decided to have you? Yes, a local Italian gal. Ah, yes. Stayed in the city. Outstanding. Then, uh, so you grew up there, did you? And it looks, it looks like you attended Fordham University. Is that true? So you stayed local yes. there? Nice. I did. I, well, because of the Italian traditional upbringing, and I was the first of four of their children, I was told I had to stay close to home. I brought home brochures from colleges from here to Nevada. And I was told, why do you think we would let you go anywhere, but you know, drive with less, more than an hour driving? And I was shocked. But that that was, you know, just part of being an Italian daughter first in an Italian home. Did the rest of the three siblings follow suit? Yes, they did. They did. Did you ever? I'm the only renegade. Uh, did you end up uh, spreading your wings and traveling somewhere else and living anywhere for a while, or did you stay still stay local? Not living, but I did break the rules in that I was brought up. Pretty much, you know, you, you get married and you have kids and I wanted to be married to the more. I wanted to be a woman, single woman in a big city working, you know, in, in a 
business in the business world, reaching that glass ceiling. And that was strange. I moved right out after I graduated college because then I was allowed to do that, you know, legally. Hmm. And um, that was that was hard. So I did travel a lot, but no, I didn't live anywhere else except on my own. Do you think that your dad, part of your upbringing, your dad and his work ethic and kind of his background, that belief to go reach for the moon, reach for the stars, you know, break through that glass ceiling kind of came from him? Yes, his work ethic. Absolutely. And it was my mom's soft and warm love that both together gave me, I I think, that moxie and that security to jump off that corporate ladder when I did. Did you have to meet a lot of Lou Grants when you were out there in the working world? <laughs> I did. And I just did I just did a video about, you know, I had a boss and now we have leaders, thankfully. It's very different. Mm-hmm. It's a different kind of leading style. You know, I don't think we called them leaders back then at all. And nor did we talk about leadership styles, right? There were bosses. My dad had a boss, I had bosses. And I'm curious what you what you see when you, you know, you talk about Boston leaders and something Glenn and I talk about a lot. What do you what is the biggest difference that you see between a boss and a leader? How much talking the boss does versus how much listening a good leader does? Great answer. Well, I feel like Lou Lou was a good good listener. <laughs> he listened to Mary talk all <laughs> the time. Lou was one of a kind. And he, <laughs> I was, guess he, he was, was funny. Uh, he was funny. That's yeah. the classic. Um, yeah. So we're looking at you on video, and I was guessing that your new book, The Purpose, Passion, Pajamas, I, I was guessing you'd be in pajamas, but here you're all dressed up. What's going on? Talk to me about yeah, this book. Yeah. Sometimes I speak in, in pajamas. Yeah. Gotcha. But um, yeah. <laughs> How's the new book going? It's it's good. It's it's selling, and you know I love it when it it sells. It's great when you sell it to friends and family, but it's you know wonderful when you sell it to strangers, and getting emails from strangers is you know one woman I, I just posted also speechless. I met her, and next thing I know, she posted that she was loving my book, and it was really touching. So talk to me about the book a little bit. What's in there that, that everybody has to listen and read and figure out? What, what do you got going on with that? Well, you touched on it, both of you, before when in your intro saying how lonely it can be to be an entrepreneur. Um, when I jumped off the corporate ladder, I started something because of a question a little girl in an emergency shelter asked me. And it changed my whole purpose. It changed what I'd been waking up to do every day and the why. I didn't have a purpose. I just had a job. And that nobody ever talked to me about finding a purpose. You know, I I like to talk to college students and even high school students because they need to think about that. And the book is about the ups and downs of starting pajama program from zero, giving everything up. I am not a saver. I shouldn't reaffirm that, right? I'm a spender. And so when I started something new, I spent all my money. I got in credit card debt and it wasn't easy and it was lonely and it was scary. And I write about all of that. Yes, it turned out well. It's 24 years later and pajama program is flourishing. Thank goodness. And everything's going well. But let me tell you, the beginning, I had to learn a lot of lessons. I had to learn about purpose and how determined, how it changes everything. It's your North Star when you find something that you feel in your heart as opposed to your pocketbook and the human connection. It was really hard for me to tell people that I was thinking about changing a successful career, exchanging it for something that people said, can't you do that on Saturday? (laughs) 
And it, it was almost to the breaking point when I finally had to tell someone and ask for help, which I think is so hard for us entrepreneurs, but it's so magical when we ask each other for help and we're so afraid to get there to put ourselves out there. So the book is ups and downs. And I, I've always spoke, been a speaker throughout the time I was at pajama program and I passed the baton of, of executive directorship. So I could talk about leadership and asking and entrepreneurship and all of that. And I just wanted to give people a true sense of how, how low I went and how high you know, how high we can go. So we, we talk about peaks and valleys. So those highs and lows a lot, especially in your entrepreneurial journey. And something that we find is where do you feel like you learned the most? Was it at the peak or was it maybe in a valley? Where did you maybe learn those lessons where you're able to pivot and get, you know, to the new height or, or what did that look like for you? Well, you learn, I learned, and I think we learn about ourselves, not just when we hit bottom, but when we're climbing back up those steps that first the decision when you are hitting rock bottom do i stay here and, and just walk away or do i try another day i had to try try this one idea i'm not sure so you you learn and i learned so much about myself as i crawled up after every time i fell down and you learn about your perseverance you learn what you're capable of you learn how creative you are and you also, that's where you learn how to listen to other people and ask for help. So I think it's on the crawl back up. Yeah, I'd say that, you know, this is America. We don't give up. We don't tap out. And you probably had that instilled from you a little bit from your family. But but also, there is no, there is no other option because you never can find out what you're really going to be if you don't give it all you've got. And you know, when you reach down and grab yourself by the back of the neck and pull yourself back up the next step, that's where it's at. I mean, that's the exciting part from what we see, right? And that's as an entrepreneur, you, you get in the bottom and you're like, how can this be? It's so easy to tap out, but we never do anything easy as entrepreneurs ever. It's a gene. I, yep. I have that gene. You, you both have that gene. You know, I, I keep jumping. I could have stayed as executive director of pajama program, but no, there's that gene popping up again. Time for part two. You you have to teach purpose now. You have to educate people. You have to share. You know, I started again. It's a gene we have. Yeah, never, it's insatiable. When you say, um, when you decided to make the jump out of corporate America and, and, and do your thing, it was you said it was uh, the little girl kind of inspired you or did you already have feelings of that? Did you already know some entrepreneurs or you just went cold turkey? I went cold turkey. It was it was a moment when everything changed, and in the in that moment, and as I grappled with what to do, I thought I was the only insane person who could consider turning my world upside down because of one moment. But as you know, the more we talk to other entrepreneurs, we're not alone. A lot of us have that as Oprah coins an aha moment, and everything changes. And so, I, I was feeling strange, you know, and, and am I supposed to change everything because of this one moment? But it, I was obsessed. And, and that's another word, I think, that that explains why entrepreneurs keep going. It's insatiable, right? You got to do it. Yeah. And, and it's the yeah. craziest thing. Uh, again, it's neat hearing entrepreneurs 
how they got to that moment. You know, sometimes they've been thinking about it, they're strategizing and trying to figure things out, then ultimately make the choice. And then sometimes it's like a two by four to the face and you're like, that's it, I gotta go do this. And people literally look at you like you're insane. And, and, and then all of a sudden you're out there on this island isolated, right? And then all of a sudden, yes. believe it or not, entrepreneurs love helping other entrepreneurs. It's the craziest thing. And I wish just, I could shout it from the, from the mountaintop, ask for help. Shit. <laughs> People want to help with that. So as you went through that um, journey and you, you know, had that aha moment moment and that obsession, were you able to cultivate or did you have before a mentor or someone that you could kind of lean on? You know, you talk about help, but did you have that person that was kind of able to help guide you? Yes. Um, it was not the same person. In corporate America, I had different mentors because the goals were different, right? Correct. For me, it was now a service future I was looking at. And not only were the rules different, but I didn't know, I didn't know, I had a lot of emotional feelings about it that I didn't have in a corporate job. And I, there were certain things I wanted to do and there were certain people that I felt could share that emotional drive. And so I went looking and I did find Early on, well, I should not early enough. You know, like I said, I didn't ask for help early enough. But when I finally educated myself on the nonprofit world, I targeted a couple of other people who I felt from a distance I resonated with. And thankfully, um, one of them became someone I could ask dumb questions to because she was about five or 10 years ahead of me and successful. And it, and I thank her all the time. So you still have that relationship today? Yeah, she's retired. And now, now I see all of her fun on social media. But throughout my career, she always said, yes, she always had time for me on the phone or in person. And then as I grew and as we all grew, you know, I had more. But at, as when I had no one, she was there. Isn't it weird? Uh, you know, the stereotypes are always kind of humorous to me. I get a kick out of those. And that's part of, I think that's 90% of my day is making fun of stereotypes. But you know, in the in the corporate America, it's just like, listen, we're stone cold killers. This is what we got to do. We got a mission. We got to go through it, and we'll step on anybody, crush somebody to get what we got to survive to do it. Well, all of a sudden, you jump over to the entrepreneur world. It's a whole different thing. You have to have a human connection. You have to be able to deal with people, and you and the motion is a big piece of it. It's still business, but if you come in too hard, you're just not going to be able to navigate because everybody's not used to that in that world because it's a more of a helpful world than a, you know, got to get it done. Is that kind of how you felt that? How long did it take you to make that adjustment? Yes, absolutely. It changed everything in my life. It changed my friends. It changed the people I hung out with. It changed my way of thinking. Um, I was leading from the heart. Whoever heard of that in the business world? Insanity. Now, again, the difference between a, a good leader and a boss there's more heart there. We show up wholeheartedly. But when I first changed, I was crying all the time. I was crying at the happy things. I was crying at the sad things. And because of the nature of what I chose to do, there were times that were um, that were difficult and traumatic that I was staring at. Not in my life, in the lives of those I was serving. But of course, it was in my life too. So I was really weepy. To this day, I, I am weepy. And I speak a lot. And I weep a lot and I had to learn how to, uh, I hate to say temper it, but obviously you, you have to 
show how much you care, but there's it's also a business. You know, running a nonprofit, speaking, anything we're doing is has a business side and I had to find a balance, but I also had to accept that it was a very emotional journey for me. I think that's the hardest thing probably for most non-entrepreneurs to understand is the fact that, you know, when it's all on you, if you don't care about the person or product that you're, you know, selling or servicing, how can you possibly deliver it the best way possible? Because we have our own standards, right? And if you don't care and then you get to caring too much and then you carry that baggage home and that's where there's just a lot of industries we see, you know, clients come in that I don't know how they do it. They do it for a living and then shut that off when they come home. I mean, that would be very difficult. So in your case, I would imagine it's pretty, pretty here's some crazy stuff and it's hard to leave that at the office, but you finally learn how to do it, right? You do, you do. Um, yes, because you want to be productive, right? You, you don't want to just, um, just become a puddle every time you you have to stare at a, the problem you're trying to fix or help fix. You have to pull out that strategic planner, that goal setter in you to get it done for as part of the service, because as part of the service, it's not just aligning with those you're trying to serve. It's getting them to a finish line. Well, there you just said it. It's not really it's not just listening and trying to solve their problem. It's try to empower them to solve their problem. Right. Then when you can make that switch, because it takes a while, that's a skill set that you had to learn, right? But yes. it isn't just, they're just going to dump their baggage and we're just going to wall in it. You're like, okay, that happened yesterday. What are you going to do tomorrow? And then you try to give them those, the tools to help them do that. And again, it doesn't matter. It's not for profit, any business, any entrepreneur, that this is what you have to do. And if you can, if you can navigate that successfully, you will be successful at it. I agree. When in your journey do you feel like, you know, in corporate America, I feel like it's very team driven, right? And I think that that's instilled in us like much of the other um, personality traits that Glenn's talked about. But when in your entrepreneurial journey did you feel like, I've got to build a team, I've got to get these people around me? Um, What did that look like? Obviously, I think you're probably a phenomenal leader. So people tend to be attracted to those type of people. But how did you know when you needed to build a team around you to help scale, to help do the things that were on your plate that maybe would help you eliminate that so you could do it you, some other things that you had wanted to do? Um, I think that's a great question, Julie. I think there, there are two answers. At least I have two answers. When I decided to come out with what I was going to do, and could tell people because for the longest time I didn't tell anyone and I just did this and lied to my bosses about where I was going, what I was doing. So once I started to tell people and got some support, because the first person I said was the one who said to me, can't you just do that on Saturday? I don't see the point of that and how are you going to make money? And you've built up this whole you know reputation in this business. And that kept me quiet for another you know, year. So when I finally started to tell people and started to see that there were more people out there who cared, then I started to lean on them because they wanted in, they wanted a piece. Now, nobody was getting paid at that point, um, but it was a labor of love for everyone. So that was an organic um, time. And I think that 
a lot of us entrepreneurs, when we aren't making money or we're not making a lot or we can't afford to pay somebody yet, we attract people who are interested and some of them can be can can give us feedback and can rally for us and can be our cheerleaders and then go beyond and be part of a mastermind group, which are I think are brilliant. And when you when you get to that point, which is one step at a time, then you you can pull in more support and and we had regular calls and regular meetings for my benefit, I thought, but I was growing <clears throat> these relationships and they were investing also in the relationship. And then when it became a mastermind, there were people who were part of my world that weren't working on the same thing, had their own entrepreneurial or their own business, but we were learning from each other. So it, it grew organically, but I knew, and I certainly know now the value of bringing in people um, on a regular basis, the same people who can help grow and listen and offer suggestions and who you can learn from. Do you think that, you know, you said it took a while before you, you know, kind of came out and said, hey, I'm doing this thing and who wants in? Do you feel if you would have um, said that earlier when you first started thinking this way, do you think you'd have had the moxie or the vision, the passion for that people would want to follow you because you're now leading, right? Do you think it took you a while to get your confidence up before then when people thought, you know, oh my gosh, let's hook our wagon to that. Do you feel like if you did that sooner, that'd have been better? Or do you feel like you kind of waited the right amount of time for you got your swag on, I guess I'd ask. Well, two things. Everything happens at the right time, mm -hmm. right? And and everybody who wins the lotto says, I wouldn't have changed a moment, a day to get here. And I get that. So there's that, right? I had to go through what I had to go through. But, you know, the f somebody called to interview me on a local radio station, somebody who went to um, the same high school I did and heard about what I was doing when I was just me locally and interviewed me on the radio. And that's when really several people called me to say, I heard you on the radio. And this is really great. And that's when I said, wow, people, strangers want to know more. So that was a big part of me seeing or, or being validated that this wasn't something I was going to do alone and be limited with what I could do alone. How long was that timetable from the time you said you want to kind of do something till you finally jumped to that point right there? Was that six months, a year, a couple of years? No, no, it was a couple of years. It was probably between one and two years, maybe more than one year. Yeah. So listeners, yes. you got to be patient, but not too patient, right? It's, you, right. you you'll know when the lines cross it's time and if you if you carpe diem if you see it take the shot right because what's the worst yeah. that can happen right what's the worst could have happened to you if it didn't work at that moment in time right it wasn't going to stop me nope. i had already jumped in <laughs> regroup and do it again right yeah um do you have a uh, you know we one of our favorite things we like to ask you know every entrepreneur for whatever reason they just have something they're just really good at they have the superpower do you have, do you know what your superpower is? Well, I've, you know, I, going in, I would have said it's the marketing part of what my business was about, my, my job was about. So I knew early on the, the power of a picture, the power of a story, the power of short and sweet. So I knew the power of getting attention through marketing. 
But now, 24 years later, it's connecting heart to heart. When I tell the story about that little girl, I'm channeling her. I've always felt that. I've always felt every time I told that story, I was right back there on my knees in front of her, right back there. And I have seen that she comes through me to people when I tell them that story. I'm not even, I'm the voice, but somehow she was an instrument to connect her heart to my heart to other people's hearts. And that is the key to any business. It has nothing to do with it being nonprofit. It's the key. And I teach that it's the human connection, heart to heart. And I think you said earlier that that conversation you had is what gave you the impetus to change and start doing this other thing, right? And leave corporate right. America. That's a, right. that's a powerful thing that must have happened there. And again, it's almost like a come to Jesus moment or something, right? Like, how does that even happen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, your listeners can watch videos. If, if they Google my name, they'll see. And it's even on my website. It's in the book, of course, the, the moment by moment things and everything that came before and after. So it's not uh, it's it's not so so much a mystery, but it would be fun for them and you to discover it. Do you have a uh, like a dream person you'd like to work with, or a speaking gig that you'd like to work with that you're like, man, if I could just get in front of those people, it would be amazing. Like you, your whole life would come to that apex moment. Like this is the top; it can't get any better than that. Do you have somebody in mind that you would like to do that with? Wow, um, I was on Oprah, so I have to say That's that big was. Deal. That was a game changer personally and um, in my work. That was huge. Um, I, I would love, I would love to, I'd love to speak to audiences that are, that, that aren't all under one umbrella company. So I would love to work with an organization and speak that to an organization that brings together leaders from all around the world and all different industries because leading with purpose and the human connection applies to every business tech, especially because we're, we're lost in that tech world sometimes and every single banking, tourism, medical field, anything that you, that embraces purpose and the human connection as the pillars of success will their business will skyrocket do you feel like uh the working from home thing versus going to the office thing how do you feel that is relevant today based on what you're talking about here is it something that people should try to interact more at the office or do you think they should be isolated at home or how do, how do you how do you navigate that when you speak um well more and more now i'm speaking again in person last year i spoke mm -hmm. a lot in person and I understand the 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 um, change, and now it's it's a combination because it, it's a lot to have to be moving to travel. I understand, especially for some people, there are reasons why they would rather be home and on Zoom than get up and drive or fly to an annual convention. But there's nothing like being face to face. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing makes that. Um, less desirable. What are you seeing as the trend these days? Are people trying to do like a, in the office three days, work from home two days, four days, one day? One, you know, how does, how's that looking? What do you see as people that are, you consult with that are getting the best result out of that? Um, 
Well, ones who work in corporate, I see mostly in the office three days. At least three? Yeah. Gotcha. And entrepreneurs, well. <laughs> it's all the time, right? I am sitting in an office, but I'm by myself. Right. Which is, again, in a weird way, we like it, but then we come out of our little you know, cave. We're like, wow, look at the sun and what's out there. And, and yeah. every time yeah. uh, you go out, it's amazing the connections you have. And I don't know if it's, uh, again, I'm speaking mostly for myself. I'm in, in crunching numbers and solving problems and doing what I do. But the second I come out and talk to somebody, I immediately just thoroughly enjoy that interaction. And next thing you know, you're meeting somebody else and you got something in common. And then that relationship flourishes where if you just went out every day, I don't know if you could, if you would bring that kind of energy or not. I, I don't know how that works, but it's just amazing thing for me anyway. Does it, you notice that with yourself? Yeah, I think, I mean, am I sometimes tired and just want to be on a Zoom? Yes. I won't vote for that if it's, if I can. And certainly if I'm speaking, I'm in there in person, but when I'm on a Zoom, it's all pretty much head. Mm-hmm. Um, unless I'm speaking, then then I bring my whole self to the presentation. But if I'm listening or I'm just participating, a lot of times I feel it in my head. When I'm anywhere in person, my whole body's involved. Mm-hmm. Everything. I feel it in my fingers. I feel it in my toes. I feel it in my heart the most. I feel it in my head. I just feel the presence of other people and being there where I feel like when I'm on a Zoom, my head's doing all the work. So... Another fun thing I like to talk about is, uh, you know, as entrepreneurs, for whatever reason, you know, you have to be an idiot, but basically manic to give up a job where you know you have your hours, you you work in this little piece that you know what you have control over, and you're going to say, you know, I'm going to go over here and work for myself because I just want to work 365, 24-7 because I'm going to have more rewarding time with that. So how do you find the time? Most entrepreneurs, they, they work so much that they don't have time to like detox and get away from it all. What do you do and how do you do it to kind of break away from, because your business is your identity. You can't get away from it just the way it is. But how do you just take that hat off and just say, hey, I'm just GP hair hanging out, doing my thing. How do, how do you do that? Well, I'm a morning person, very early morning. So I'm up ridiculously early. I'm up between 4.30 and 5 because that's my my quiet time, totally quiet. It's dark. I can watch the sun come up. Sometimes it comes up earlier, depending on the time of year. Yep. And I need that time. I read. Um, I do meditation. I do my affirmations. Um, I need that time. So I'm up and I am working at 7 a.m. Because that's my peak time, right? We all have peak times. And then I feel myself when it's two or three dragging and can I have a candy bar do I sure but it'll only last me another hour if I'm unless I'm at an event where then the adrenaline's going or if I'm speaking I'm physically tongue-tied at by four I, I am physically and I have learned to listen to myself because the few times I've pushed on Knowing I shouldn't push on, I made a mess. What kind of candy bar so, do you eat? <laughs> I ate a Snickers the other mm, day, which probably yummy. wasn't the best a best choice. But um, yeah, so I've learned to listen to myself because I I will make mistakes. I will regret by by pushing myself. 
It's and it's funny because some people work out, some people want to go for a walk, uh, some people literally will disconnect and shut off their phone for whatever that takes. But as an entrepreneur, you always got this clock in the back of your head that says, "Wait a minute, I got to be available. I got to be available." Do you like then check out at four o'clock and that's it for the day? Or nope. phones on? No, phones just, on. Phones next to me. You're just at not home. engaged no. as in in deals, right? Okay. Yes. No, I can't. I haven't got, and I'm married. So now I'm married. So um, my husband doesn't appreciate my phone going off. Um, you know, between dinner time and the night. But what's I wrong with do, that guy? I don't get it. I know hey. it is. You never know. So yes. and he's sort of gotten used to it. But you know, it, it's not healthy. I understand that. But yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't go off. No, it's hard. What's uh? What's the biggest fear you had to overcome? in your journey? Was it when you first started out? Uh, is it like, what do you got to do tomorrow? What is the biggest fear that you're like, once you crash through that and remove that obstacle, you're like, oh my gosh, we're going all downhill now. This is awesome. Well, certainly I think I share the number one fear. What if this fails? I felt it very hard because I was literally going to be letting children down. And I kept saying to myself, I can't let them down. I can't be another person who's let them down. I can't show up and then never show up again. I can't I can't help and bring something that makes them feel better and then never come back. So I did that to myself, you know, and I've learned over the years not to punish yourself that way, but but we do. So I think I share the fear of what if I fail? How is it gonna look? Never mind how poor am I going to be, but how is it going to look that I made this bold stand that I could do this and I believed in myself? And then the worst fear of all that we all have is I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I couldn't do it. I was a fool. All those awful things, that negative self-talk, I think is loud for entrepreneurs. And I admire those who who've been bold over and over and over and have failed and failed and failed. And I, you know, and I always say, God, please let me be one of those people. If it ever goes wrong, that I will have that, that bold gene too, that I can, I can end up like those people that people say, Oh, she got up again. And this time she did it. We often say too, that, that F word, such a bad word, horrible word, right. In the entrepreneur world, because I, I truly don't think if you have that gene, you just pivot. And so I, I think a true entrepreneur never has the F word. They just take that and pivot and are bold and go on to the next thing. For for whatever reason, it's just ingrained in them that they're able to kind of go and do that. And I think that's such a characteristic that we find in, in all of our interviews that people do have to pivot sometimes in those valleys that we talk about and are able to bring themselves back up and, and they're even better and you know more bold again. You know, it's it's... It's interesting you when you said your biggest fear because it's really you have two and I think that's probably common. It, your first one was you're going to let the people down that you are trying to help, which is a tremendous burden that you have to carry, right? That you think about like yeah. what if I say it wrong? What if it's the wrong, you know, all those things. But then, you know, you have to have confidence in yourself and that fear like what is everybody going to laugh at me? What what happens? Is this going to be the worst thing I'm going to lose it all? So you're fighting both of those at the same time. And then again, overcoming that, how did you overcome that those two fears? Did you just say, I just got to jump off the high dive? Or did you just say, 
you just kept navigating little bits at a time and kept whittling, whittling away through it till you finally overcame it. Um, both. I think I tended to go and try to navigate every step so that I could, I could see options. And I think it was in my worst time when I really gave my power over to other people to accept their suggestions. Um, that's hard too for, for, for us. We think we know the way we see it one way. And then somebody in good times, somebody would say, why don't you try this way? And then you say, no, I'm doing fine. This is my way. But when I was at my worst in the recession and, and things were happening and I was at the brink of losing things or other people around me were losing things, that's when I gave in. I sort of, I did. I said, I, I can't do this alone. I don't have any ideas. Someone help me. And somebody had an idea that was a crazy idea. And I went with it because I was at, at a loss. And that idea wasn't a million dollar idea, but it was a morale booster for everyone. And turns out that's what we needed in that moment. And that's bit. what rallied everybody. And then the growth came. And that was brilliant. And I don't even think she knew the outcome, but maybe she did it. You know, maybe she did. And maybe it was just the universe's hand again. It's like we always say that uh, it's one of those things when you're an entrepreneur, sometimes you just, you got to say yes and figure it out later. And yeah. you don't really want to say no too much because you'll never get anywhere. Uh, do you, you know, most entrepreneurs we see are, uh, we call them, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're all basically nuts, myself included, because <laughs> who does this for a living? Why would you wake up every day negative, right. the stress, the pressure, like, but we can't, we can't stop. <laughs> do you have any other business endeavors that you get into? Are you staying in your lane and doing just this one thing? Um, well, everything I do is about educating people and, and demonstrating how leading with purpose, first finding your purpose and leading with purpose and the human connection is going to bring you success. So I consult with businesses and I help people, a lot of people who are looking for a new a new career because they've gotten to the point where I got, you know, I said to myself, if this is the next 30 years of my life, is this enough? And my answer was no. And a lot of people especially with COVID, got to that point where they're reevaluating. So a lot of people, um, I teach that to or individuals. Um, and I do a lot of teamwork too to help find purpose on a team. You might love your job, but I'm not telling everybody jump off the ladder, just slide slide in your purpose. It'll make a world of difference everywhere you go from the, the office to a family gathering. It's just giving yourself that that passion, that joy in some way in your life, you know, everybody thinks, put it on the back burner. When I retired, then maybe I can sing. Join, join a choir. I mean, there's so many things that people don't realize you can do that change your whole attitude on everything in your life. They so everything revolves around helping people find purpose and the human connection. Yeah, they don't let me sing anymore in choir, but uh, <laughs> I, I, got, I have to take more <laughs> lessons. Do you find it, yeah. do you find it more rewarding to get uh, helping somebody figure out their purpose or watching them execute on that purpose? Oh, that's a good question. Um, hmm. Well, a lot of, a lot of times people come to me and, and tell me their purpose. They don't know how, how to get there. And I think I find a lot of ways that they haven't thought about, you know, like you're saying, I have had people say, I really love to sing, but I'm really bad. And that's where it stops. And that's why they don't sing. Well, you can take some lessons, even if you take a lesson once a month, something to look forward to, you'll feel better about it. You'll have fun. 
there are so many wonderful things about starting from ground zero when you love something. There's there's a path that brings it into your life. You don't ever have to sing it in front of an audience, but maybe you'll feel better singing as part of a group when you have a a sing-along, or maybe you'll feel better if you have to go to karaoke one day. But it, it will give you that joy, and you'll feel like you're doing something constructive with it, whereas before you thought, oh, i got to give it up. That dream will never happen. I feel like if I have the microphone, everybody has to listen to me sing. That's just a rule. Whether I'm good or bad doesn't doesn't really matter. Well, I, I would <laughs> well, think— Well, good for you. I, well, I mean— We try to keep the microphone yeah, at a limited time with him. It, it sometimes breaks when I'm in the middle. I don't get it. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's on that piece about— Again, it's probably two very different emotional connections you have with a client when you first, they have, they're like, oh my God, this is why I'm here on this earth. Like, and they have that, their aha moment, right? And you helped them get there. That's got to be a very like slam dunk, high five type of thing. But then you come back and see them, whether it is a month, six months, a year later, and they've executed on it. That has to be very rewarding in your line of work, I would think. Well, I can I can tell you that I find that with people who are nearing, well, say they're 40 or, or maybe a little older and they've discovered that they don't like being having the job they've had. And then they they tell you what they want out of life more than what they want out of a job, which is amazing. Right. Because if you ask any 18, 20 year old, they're going to tell you what they want out of a job. When you ask someone who's been a, in a job and have come to the realization that it's not their purpose on earth, they tell you what they want in life. And that's where you find those people looking for purpose. And that's that's something you want to bottle and give to the 18-year-old. Yeah. How do you, again, is how do you get this kind of, uh, we call it wisdom, right? How, you, you don't get the wisdom unless you stumble through life and then you figure it out. But how do how can we not teach this to the kids and children and young adults so they can start asking those questions? Why do we teach them this other crap instead of something that's going to help them navigate life better? I that's one of those. It's a rhetorical question, obviously, but I can't figure that one out. Yeah, I'm I'm out there writing to colleges and high school teachers and counselors literally every day looking for speaking opportunities, and that's how I lead um, with with what I tell them I do. I said nobody ever asked me. Nobody ever asked me, what's your purpose? Or nobody told me I had a purpose. Nobody. I thought that was reserved for, you know, Einstein and 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 Oprah and people, Alexander Graham Bell and, and Deepak Chopra. I And I was lucky to get a job that I liked. And that's how I think most of us thought. Right. And you, you, we, we can't change any of that, but we've learned that that's a discussion that needs to be had or we're going to have a lot of lonely, miserable people at age 40. Yeah, we just kind of did what everybody told us to do. And then you just do it. You don't even know your why or anything. And then all of a sudden, again, you talk to somebody and it impacts you. You see that aha moment. It's the best. Was there anything, uh, anything you can, do you have anything else that we, you, have, you always have one I more. I have one more question for you. And it's kind of a trick question. Ooh. So I apologize in advance. But what is your end game? That is a great question, Julie. My end game. I I, I want to go 
go down saying, what's your purpose? Just don't, don't go away yet. First, tell me, tell me what your purpose is. <laughs> I just want to just try to reach as many people as I can. I don't, I don't want to stop. Even if I'm a hundred years old, I, I'd like to be able to, to, to tell somebody who's younger than a hundred. It's not too late. It is not too late. So why it was a trick question is, Hundred percent of the time, people say, "Well, I don't really have an end game. I just want to keep going." So you oh. answered it perfectly. <laughs> no, no, yeah, I want to. I want to be. I often do that rocking chair test. Where do you want to be when you're ninety? Looking back, I mean, and yeah, you're yeah, having fun. Why would people. Why would you stop? I again, that's the whole thing. If you're if you made yourself a job, and you got to do the grind, that's no fun. But if you can be impactful and you're still enjoy what you do, why would you ever stop? I can't. Uh, people when they retire, it's it's the worst thing in the world. In my line of work, when I see people that retire, it's just horrible. They just they lose their purpose and they kind of just get lost and they just exist and they don't get up and go every morning. Entrepreneurs, well, we're just yeah, nuts. Yeah. And don't they say if you love what you do, you don't work a day in your life? I mean, somebody says that. I don't know who they are, but yeah, I yeah, think I don't that's know who totally they true. are either. Yeah. But I've heard that, and that's true. They are out there. Which is why I think entrepreneurs just have no end game. They all have a purpose, passion, love for what they're doing, and they just can't stop. They don't. Well, I appreciate you being on the show today. Is there uh, you got like a gratuitous plug you can put in there to talk about how we can people can get a hold of you? Oh, just my website, which is my name GenevievePituro.com. And we'll make sure we put that in the show notes. Well, I appreciate thank you. you. Thank you, Glenn. Thank you, Julie. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. It's always nice to talk to a New Yorker and they're normal just like <laughs> us. You know, you hear these horror stories. So um, <laughs> it's got to be stereotypes. It's got to be the Italian that makes it all work well. That's got to be it. <laughs> the well, appreciate your yeah. time. Thanks thank for coming you. on. And uh, this is uh, Glenn Harper signing out. Julie. Julie Smith. Take care. At Harper and Company CPA Plus, we just don't care about the numbers. We care about helping you tap into the greatness of your entrepreneurial journey. You deserve a partner who has helped hundreds of businesses go from paying the bills to building the business and lifestyle of their dreams. Go to our website and download our free guide entitled Entrepreneurial Success Formula, How to Avoid Managing Your Business from Your Bank Account. The link is in this episode's show notes.